Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Plenty to talk about in agriculture here today on AOA, Agriculture of America. Thanks for being with us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Today's program brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, power to perform. Find your nearest Cenex location very easily online, Cenex.com. Coming up here on today's program, we are going to talk markets in just a second with Dwayne Bussey from Bolt Marketing. In segment two, we're going to learn more about the H-2A visa program and some of the talk about reforming that program and more. We're going to have a conversation with an expert on that topic, Arnaflo Hinojosa. He is the vice president for the Federation of Employers and Workers of America. He'll join us coming up here in segment two today. Then we're going to switch over. We're going to talk about land values and how some folks are using the 1031 exchange to uh, move around some of their farmland assets and more. We're going to talk with Ronnie Richardson, the CEO of National Land Realty, coming up here in segment three today. And then in segment four, we're going to continue our harvest tour around the country. We'll have a conversation with DeKalb Asgro technical agronomist in Northwest Iowa, Jim McDermott. That's coming up here later on in today's program. First up, though, let's uh, take a look at what's going on in the market trade. Joining us now, Dwayne Bussey with Bolt Marketing. Dwayne, always good to have a conversation with you. How are you doing? Hey, doing great. Uh, getting a little cold out, though, which I'm not thrilled about, but I, I guess... You know, where I live, Northeast South Dakota, it's bound to happen eventually. I was going to say, I mean, fall's got to get here at, at some point. We can't live with 80s and 90s in September and October for too long, can we? Dwayne? No, it was kind of nice, though. It made for some really nice Friday night football games so far, but I, I think I'm going to pay for it tonight when it's going to be like 45 and windy or something, but uh, that's okay, too. Potentially, potentially. Might have to put an extra layer on tonight. That's uh, that's for <laughs> right. sure. Well, let's uh, let's talk about the markets. And, and you know, um, 80s and 90s uh, given us a pretty, uh, pretty good window to get a lot of harvest done here in the last week or so. I mean, combines yeah. have been rolling fast and furious. Uh, I know we've had a little bit of harvest pressure in these grain markets, but also, too, Feels like we, we've seen a bit of short covering from fund managers here this week, especially on Thursday. Um, what's your take in this uh, grain market overall? Looks like we're starting to bounce up against some resistance, especially in the corn market. Yeah, the corn market's been kind of the talk since yesterday's big up rally. Um, got above that 490 resistance, which has been hard resistance really since harvest started uh, for the past month. So that was a big move. But I'm with you. I I don't think it's anything to write home about yet. I, I think it is fun short covering, maybe Goldman roll going on where funds are getting out of short positions in December, rolling to back months. I I, I don't have a bullish reason why these corn has to go above $5. And it looks like the markets, at least for now today is a green and pulling back a little bit from there. You know, But you're right, harvest has gone fast. We're over 25% complete now. And once you get over 50% complete, a lot of times you put in the harvest low and a lot of the bulls are trying to say that we've already put in a harvest low for corn, but I'm not sure I'm convinced, Jesse, because demand has just not really been that great. No, demand has not really been that great. And I think uh, that demand side of the equation may be coming into play here a little bit, Dwayne, because, you know, we we think about selling off the combine or putting in storage basis levels and a yep. lot of uh, a lot of parts of the country not too great right now. So I wonder you know, are we getting a lot of sales directly off the combine or, or are more people throwing it in storage? I, I know I've had phone calls in this office. And just a reminder, I'm in Northeast South Dakota that guys are finding yields better than anticipated, better than expected. Even though we've barely started with harvest, it sounds like some beans ended up going to town that they didn't think they'd have. And that kind of makes sense because when I look at our basis up here, it's widened out fairly quickly. I know there was trains coming and elevators running out of supplies, but I think they got full of supplies really quick. Or I wouldn't shouldn't say full, but they got enough supplies to widen out the basis. And that's kind of you watch a national basis, and if it's widening out, that's usually a sign of the crop a little better than anticipated. Now that's very regional. Um, you, I'm sure you can find a spot where it's a short crop yet too. But I think what I found out 
getting all the yield reports in so far nationwide is that USDA is not that far off. Maybe the soybean yield has to inch up a little bit. Corn yields may be dead on is, is kind of what I'm seeing going forward. So as a, as a farmer and I look at the grain markets, uh, anything different we want to look at and think about here trying to market in this environment mm-hmm. here through harvest? Well, we just talked about a rally in corn that I don't quite understand or believe we really had to have. So if you're a producer that's behind on sales, you know, maybe not horrible time to reward it here. I know everyone would rather see $6 corn, obviously, again, but I don't think that's in the cards here anytime soon. And remember, before this rally happened, Jesse, Ukraine and Brazil were both cheaper than the U.S. for corn. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to rally here. So I, I, this little pop actually st- can still be sold. Let's talk over in the cattle market a little bit. Uh, it's been a rough week there in cattle. We're quietly, quietly lower on Friday for the most part. What's your take in cattle? Are, are we looking at a, a long-term downturn here, or is this a, a short-term kind of move? I Well, that's a million-dollar question, Odell, but <laughs> I, I, I kind of think we've seen the high for now at least. You know, maybe if the economy holds together, you know, we know supplies will be tight in 2024. Maybe we can go test these and maybe take them out. That, but there's so many ifs in that. But what I'm seeing right here right now, Jesse, is the funds that are massively long just wanting to get out. Uh, mm-hmm. Fundamentals don't matter. They just want out. And when they start to do that and the futures market starts to leak, well, guess what? The fundamentals start to follow, too. We had cash cattle trade a couple bucks lower this week than the week prior. Uh, cash feeders are still going to be pretty hot and in a good commodity, but boy, funds are just getting out and they're taking that futures market down with them. Well, I think something else to watch too in the overall uh, grain and livestock markets is what's going on on Wall Street. And you know, yep. we got a jobs report out Friday morning that was about double what analysts expected. Wall Street's fear index creeping back up near 20. The dollar's up near 107. Crude oil, though, just a huge pullback here this week. So outside market right. stuff is, is something to keep an eye on as well, Dwayne. Well, I think so. I think that's what's putting the high in the cattle market. I don't think it's we found more supplies. We imported cattle. I, I think it's stock market trading lower year over year now. And yeah, U.S. dollar up at probable problem levels for exports. Uh, that's why funds are exiting the cattle market. It's not because we've got a bearish situation. So the outside markets are very important. And and are not being very supportive, which is also why I look at corn and go, I don't see why we're going to rally here now with a dollar near 107. That's not going to help our export demand moving forward either. Isn't it funny how some folks call for $150 a barrel crude oil and then we almost immediately turn back lower. Now we're sitting around 80 bucks a barrel, Dwayne. That is quite the turnaround. Yeah, this week. (laughs) Weekly report, yeah, gasoline consumption was down sharply last week. And uh, yeah, I know it wasn't in in my vehicles, but Mm -hmm. uh, it did in the nation, yes. It's it's just something interesting to keep an eye on. Dwayne, uh, real quick, anything final you want to share with us here today? You know, um, you get these rainy spills here or there, which I know we haven't had much. You know, just go back to your spreadsheets, crunch your numbers. If you've got some extra bushels, these are still not bad prices historically. They're not as high as we want, but they're still pretty good, Jesse. Well, good thoughts. Dwayne Bussey with Bolt Marketing. Thanks for joining us here on AOA today. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jesse. Coming up next here on AOA, we'll talk about the H2A program, and we will dive into that subject here on the program, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package or a more complete burn. Back with more right after this. When people look at your farm, they just see corn. But to you, it's a lot more than that. It's a college fund, your retirement plan, and it deserves trait protection that can stand up to heavy pressure threats like corn woodworm. SmartStacks Pro with RNAi technology is trusted on over 1 million acres to protect the things that mean more. Trade up at SmartStacksPro.com. Always read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. 
Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Do you know how much one stock of wheat is worth? Well, you're about to find out. Wheat is a member of the grass family that produces a dry, one-seeded fruit commonly called a kernel. There are about 1 million kernels of wheat in a bushel, about 50 kernels per stock, which if we do the math is about 20,000 stocks of wheat per bushel. That means that if a bushel is worth $8, then each stock is worth about 0.04 cents. So you would need 2,500 wheat stocks to equal $1. Now that one bushel of wheat will yield approximately 42 pounds of white flour or 60 pounds of whole wheat flour. A bushel of wheat makes about 42 pounds of pasta or 210 servings of spaghetti. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. And in the United States, one acre of harvested land yields an average of around 45 to 50 bushels of wheat. So if you ever wondered how much one stock of wheat was worth, now you know. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference, bite by bite. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA here today. Agriculture of America brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel and Cenex Roadmaster XL. Everyday products powered locally. That's Cenex. Well, as we're getting our uh, next guest ready here on the line, uh, I want to share a news story with you uh, real quick that um, you know, folks might be thinking already about that Thanksgiving turkey. We're just a little over a month or so away from Thanksgiving, well, the cost to buy that Thanksgiving turkey could be lower this year thanks to a drop in avian influenza cases and a recovery of the turkey population in the U.S. Farm Bureau economists analyzed turkey and egg prices and found that the average price for an 8 to 16 pound turkey typically served for Thanksgiving was $1.27 per pound lower than in August of this year. That's 22% lower than the same time last year. Now, the economist said in a market intel report, quote, the status of HPAI is different now than it was just a year ago. Migratory birds are a major vector of this virus, which naturally makes spring and fall migration high-risk times, end quote. Now, June marked the first month with no detection since the outbreak began in February of 2022, Egg production also saw a year-to-year -year increase with 9.38 billion eggs produced in September of 2023, a 2% increase from the same time last year. So that Thanksgiving turkey that you're thinking about getting here in just a few short weeks, well, might be a little bit cheaper this year, which uh, I think a lot of us will be happy to see that. Also, great exports uh, dropped to 6.82 million metric tons so far from Ukraine in this current marketing year. The Ag Ministry said Ukraine shipped 8.99 million tons during the same period in the prior marketing year. The first three days of October saw 153,000 tons of exports compared to 297,000 tons a year ago. Now, while the ministry didn't give a reason for the drop, traders and agricultural unions say the country's ports on the Black Sea are getting blocked. Russia's attacking ports along the Danube River as well. Exported volumes include 3.4 million tons of wheat, 2.7 million tons of corn, and 625,000 tons of barley. The Black Sea grain deal negotiated by the U.N. and Turkey ended, of course, in July. Ukraine is expected to harvest a total of 79 million tons of grain and oil seeds in 2023, with the 23-24 exportable surplus totals expected to reach about 50 million tons. 
That's just a couple of news headlines for you here on AOA. We are connected and ready for our next guest here on the show as we talk about the H-2A visa program. Artiflo Hinojosa, Vice President of the Federation of Employers and Workers of America, is an expert on the H-2A program, and he joins us now to discuss. And Artiflo, thanks so much for being with us here on AOA today. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Happy to help. Well, let's dive in and and learn a little bit more about the H-2A guest worker program. And I think just to start, uh, could you give listeners an overview uh, of the program, what it is and how, you know, what it looks like as it currently stands? Yes, sir. No problem. So the federal um, guest worker program, H-2A, is specific for agricultural users that have that temporary seasonal need either during your growing season, peaking, peak, uh, picking season, uh, or whatever generates a temporary seasonal uh, nature for additional workers throughout the year. Uh, so these programs are defined for um, temporary workers coming in from another country to help with that, to fill that void. Um, so one of the general aspects of the program is, as one, you have to be an agricultural employer and the workers have to be performing agricultural job duties to qualify for this program, but also it has to be in seasonal nature, uh, which really qualifies for many agricultural users across the country. Well, now with the H-2A program, I know a lot of companies, uh, there's there's a lot of different management things they need to do to make sure they're compliant with federal regulations as well, isn't there? Uh, yes, sir. There's a, and it's quite quite the reason why FEWA as an association exists because it's employers that bound together and agricultural employers that bound together to help navigate these these programs and and specific requirements when it comes to to H2A. And I will like to highlight a few of those. Um, we talked about the temporary nature of the business and agricultural, but you also have to provide one of the biggest expenses to the program is you have to provide housing to these individuals that are coming in from a foreign country or anybody who applies for the position that cannot reasonably return to their home, uh, free housing, um, either on the farm or in the area to where they can get to your location to work. Uh, so that's one of the biggest um, hurdles of the program, but once you kind of figure out how they're going to be housed and it does have to be free of charge for those individuals, um, then it's a, it's a really win-win program for, for all. Well, now, obviously, today's political environment, there's a lot of talk about farm labor reform. Uh, a lot of folks in agriculture are calling for some sort of reform uh, to to the farm labor sector and the H-2A program in itself and, and trying to make it, I, I guess I would say, maybe make things, some folks want to make it easier for for us to uh, have you know guest workers here in the country uh, what's your take just on the current political environment and and some of the talk about farm labor reforms yeah some of the uh, well there's been recently a notice of propo- uh, proposed rulemaking issued by the US Department of Labor and it's supposed to be focusing on strengthening protections for agricultural workers and enhancing the department's capabilities on monitoring the program as well in regards to compliance and making sure there's enforcement actions against any anybody who's taking advantage of the program. So that's kind of the environment we're seeing from the administration, which will add some burden on the employers and making sure that the daily transportation, of course, is legal and safe up to Department of Transportation regulations, you know, some minor details in regards to make sure, making sure everybody's got seatbelts, um, some additional housing requirements. Uh, again, it's for the safety of the workers, anybody that's coming over um, or taking these positions, but there is some added uh, scrutiny on some of those regulations. That is proposed, you know, how the current program, um, you know, it's going to be some changes to the current program. There's about a 90-day uh, comment period on that, and we'll have to. Mon- we're going to continue monitoring how those regulations come out. Now, I know there's a, a lot of talk on broader immigration reform as well. A lot of a uh, lot of partisanship uh, on that, uh, and just a, a lot of divisiveness. I feel like surrounding immigration reform, which uh, ties into uh, the discussion here about farm labor and the H two A program and more. Uh, do, do you believe? Does does your organization believe that uh, we can? We can make some meaningful changes and get some things done that will that will help not only farm labor but the the broader uh, reforms uh, to immigration. Yeah, the comprehensive immigration reform has been a hot topic. Um, you know, and really why there hasn't been any drastic uh, major changes to reform uh, these specific programs tied to agricultural and even non-agricultural businesses. 
Um, you know, I don't feel like there's going to be a big, you know, coming up into election year and, and there's not going to be any big change for um, the entire immigration reform. There's lots of, there's an alphabet soup of visas that, that require reform. Unfortunately, right now, some of these programs that have been in existence are running under regulations that were around in the early 90s. Um, you know, but the H-2A program in specific, you know, that's it's been increasing usage year to year on about 15%. Um, and just kind of putting that perspective for you, for the 2022 season, there was over 371,000 workers that were certified by the U.S. Department of Labor. And specifically what that means is that you've gone through this process, you prove you have housing, you prove you have temporary need. But the, only, the other hurdle that we have to overcome is that we have to prove to the U.S. government and the U.S. Department of Labor that these foreign workers are not going to be taking jobs away from local U.S. domestic workers that are willing and capable of taking these positions. And by obtaining a certification from the U.S. Department of Labor, you've already tested the local labor market and you've given that opportunity to local help first. And by obtaining that certification, Department of Labor agrees with you that you cannot fulfill those positions. So there was over 371,000 positions that were certified, and that was increased from the previous year by 15%, and it's continuing to grow um, across country in many different industries. Well, how can uh, farmers and ranchers who are in need of uh, finding some of these guest workers and, and, you know, how can they stay involved and and learn more and uh, follow the work that uh, you and the folks do there at the Federation of Employers and Workers of America? Uh, How can folks stay engaged in this conversation? Yes, most definitely. I mean, you can visit our website at fewaglobal.org. We are also always posting up. Um, you know, news and events and updates to these programs. So we're also involved in a non-agricultural program, which is H2B for um, you know, landscapers, hotel, hospitality, other industries. Uh, but specifically to agricultural, yes, we're always keeping up with the news and updates and these new um, government regulations that are coming out. We'll be submitting, you know, official comments and, and letting the community know how this is going to impact them um, as well. So again, it's fewaglobal.org is where you find us. We thank you for the time. Arnaflo Hinojosa, Vice President for the Federation of Employers and Workers of America. Thanks for joining us here on AOA today. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about land values, the farmland market, and we're also going to learn more about the 1031 exchange. What exactly is the 1031 exchange and how are some folks using that? We're going to talk with the CEO of National Land Realty, Ronnie Richardson. He joins us next here on AOA, Agriculture of America, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. challenge it's not something you shy from it's a chance to up your game every day brings a new challenge but with the enhanced channel seed brand on your side you can rise to it with our top performing seed innovative digital tools and expanded agronomic support you can turn tomorrow's challenges into your next advantage your enhanced channel seed brand let's rise to the challenge learn more at channel.com rise read and follow pesticide label directions irm grain marketing and other stewardship practices and we're back looking at another lopsided matchup, Jim. Today we have a combine taking on a train. Yeah, that heavy train is about a thousand times heavier than the combine. No competition there. Right, especially given that it'll take at least a mile to stop that train. That's 18 football fields. It's no contest. Every day people are injured or killed trying to beat a train at rail crossings. See tracks, think train. This message brought to you by Operation Lifesaver. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Grains are starting off this morning lower. Beans leading the way lower there. Livestock is mixed with fats and feeders lower. Hogs are firm. Now, much of the recent strength in the grains was tied to speculative short covering and end-user bottom picking. Now, next week's USDA WASD crop report will answer many questions about the size of this year's crops. That's allowing the focus to shift more towards the demand side of the balance sheet, which isn't looking good, as well as to South American weather. 
Now, we see encouraging signs of increasing moisture for Brazil's center-west growing region, but the forecast seems to keep those rains in the 5- to 10-day period. And a look at the lineup of ships loading and or transporting soybeans to China shows 35 at Pacific Northwest ports, four ships in the Gulf of Mexico, and 129 ships at Brazilian ports. That would seem to suggest that this year's soybean export campaign is going to be a bit disappointing for the fourth quarter of the year. The soy complex is leading the descent in the grains today. Soybean crush margins have been on the downward path, with the value of crushed beans falling to $2.12 per bushel and the lowest value of the year. Soybean oil demand is on the domestic side with record renewable biodiesel production. U.S. biodiesel exports are running 13% ahead of last year at this time, which is supportive. Soybean oil, though, has been pressured by the falling crush margins in the U.S. Pressure on palm oil futures, which plunged yesterday on weak demand from India and China, and crude oil weakness with spot crude having tumbled $13 per barrel since September 28th. There's also news that Russia will be lifting its ban on diesel exports, which is also pressuring veg oil markets. Soybean sales last week were decent at 29.7 million bushels, but total commitments are still running 32% lower than a year ago as Brazil has totally dominated world trade. While the dollar index is firming up and crude oil prices are pulling back about a half a buck. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, thanks for sticking with us here today on AOA, Agriculture of America, or if you're just joining us, thanks for joining the conversation once again here today. Our program brought to you by our friends at Cenex, Cenex Premium Diesels and Cenex Roadmaster XL. You know, you think about Cenex Premium Diesel with their more complete additive package for a more complete burn, helping keep your operation fueled here during a busy time of year with fall harvest season happening. And then their uh, Maxtron synthetic diesel engine oil, of course, keeping uh, your equipment properly lubricated and uh, running through the field, keeping those engines running smoothly. Cenex has all the products that you need. Find your everyday products powered locally, including those premium diesel and lubricants with Cenex and find your nearest Cenex location. If it's not right around the corner, it's probably pretty close by. You could find the details at Cenex.com. Again, that is Cenex.com for your nearest Cenex location. Right now, we want to talk about the farmland markets and uh, have a conversation on land investments and learn more about the 1031 Exchange Service. Joining us to have that discussion, National Land Realty CEO Ronnie Richardson is with us. Ronnie, thanks for the time for joining us here on AOA today. I hope you're doing well. Thank you so much for having us, Jesse. I look forward to it. Well, let's just start and maybe just to set up our conversation. I think it's no secret, Ronnie, that farmland prices and values – it has been so amazing just to see the the growth and and some of the uh, some of the prices that some farmland is going for across the country, especially in the heart of the Corn Belt, the I states, Missouri, et cetera. I mean, it, just to kind of start, what's your perspective on on the entire farmland market and as it stands right now? Your perspective as CEO of National Land Realty. Well, when you know hyperinflation got us several years ago, and it and it was a, it was amazing to watch what farmland prices did 
from the the 2019 through today, they've kind of leveled off at this point, and I think it's mostly due to the to the rise in interest rates because the carry cost on a on a new farm now or on any farm is is pretty significant when you get into that eight nine percent interest carry on a farm. It's mm-hmm. just tough to those kind of rates and that and so the you know when the commodity prices are, are where they are and then the higher interest rates it's leveled off a little bit but it's still at historic highs and it's still moving which is amazing it is it's it's definitely amazing and i i think as well there's plenty of competition out there between not only uh, farmers and ranchers, but investors as well, looking for uh, pieces of land to uh, build new homes, et cetera, on. And so talk about this a little bit. I know a lot of investors use uh, what's called the 1031 exchange. Can you first tell us what this is exactly and how it's being utilized right now? Well, on the on the 1031, this is IRS code 1031, and if you own a piece of property and, and it's held for investment and you've held it for a, a period of time and it's appreciated and you want to sell that piece of property, you can, you can use the 1031 exchange and basically swap properties. Go buy you another property. Go buy you another farm. And if you follow certain rules, you don't own any capital gains on the gain from the sale of the original farm. It's not a complicated process, and but you do need a professional to walk you through it, whether it's a, a professional real estate agent, whether it's a, um, an attorney, whether it's a closing company. You just have to follow certain rules. But that is what drives the business in the – our ag business is pretty much driven by the 1031 exchange. So if we get a guy that is – say a guy's in the car wash business in Nashville, Tennessee, and he decides to sell them all, but he wants to put his money somewhere where he can earn a decent rate of return and have a a reasonable expectation for appreciation. He may want to look at a farm in Iowa or Missouri or Illinois or Mississippi or Alabama, wherever there's water is a big deal. But he he could sell those car washes that he's depreciated off, use the 1031 exchange, code and end up with a farm that's throwing him off three or four percent return on his money plus some appreciation and if it appreciates his like it has in the last four or five years he's going to be a real happy guy it's very interesting to think about utilizing something like the 1031 exchange and uh, it's something that i guess i'll ask the question is it is it widely used very much by a lot of farmers and ranchers right now it is used on a daily basis in our business. So, and and a real a real good example of this is let's just say my grandparents owned a farm in Iowa, and they were in their eighties, and they've had the farm their whole life. Well, their cost basis in that farm is basically zero. So, if if we come along through our auction division and said we auction the auction the farm off, and it brings twenty thousand dollars an acre. You know, you're talking about a significant capital gains tax liability after the sale of that property. Mm-hmm. But with the 1031 exchange, we can actually 1031 exchange that money into something other than another piece of land. They don't have to buy another corn farm in Iowa. They don't have to buy another um, a Waffle House or a Dollar General or they can buy some – there's other alternatives out there, and one of them is the Delaware Statutory Trust. So they can take that money from the sale of that farm, 1031 it into a Delaware Statutory Trust. They will have an appreciating asset that's throwing off an excellent rate of return, and they owe, they've deferred 100% of their capital gains exposure. Seems to me like this is one of uh, many tools that are in the toolbox that uh, can be utilized, and that's uh, that that could be very helpful to farmers and ranchers here, Ronnie. It, it would be it, it, it's the smart play for if, if, for somebody that wants to maintain generational wealth. Sure. Because if you if you take the money, if you sell a farm and you just take the money and pay the capital gains, then what are you going to do with the money? Most of these farmers and ranchers, I mean, they're, the, the majority of their wealth is in their ground. So if they're able to, if they're able to exchange that farm 
for another investment that's throwing off a nice return and appreciating and can leave that to their beneficiaries. I mean, what a better way to, where else are you going to put the money? I know succession planning on the farm, uh, your thoughts there just made me think of this. And I know succession planning is a totally different topic, but you know, passing down uh, the farm from one generation to another, of course, is is a big thing right now. We have a lot of older farmers who are passing things on to their sons and daughters, et cetera. Are, are you seeing a lot of that trend right now when it comes to uh, farmland and a lot of you know passing on of the operation at this point in time? Jesse, it's interesting that you asked me that because we just started talking within the last six months about how big the generational transition of wealth is going to be over the next 10 years. And it is staggering how much value is going to change hands in the next 10 years from one generation to the next, from my grandparents to me, to me or to my parents. Mm -hmm. And that 1031 exchange is, is that business is going to be huge for a long period of time, getting those transitions completed. Well, um, yeah, we're, we're really looking forward to we're really looking forward to the next 10 years. <laughs> I was going to say it's going to be a busy time. And, and with that 1031 exchange and just the transfer of uh, wealth between generations here and, and more moving forward, I, I mean, any tips you would offer farmers and ranchers here uh, to go along with the 1031 exchange? Any reminders you'd want to tell them just to things to think about as they're as they're looking at some of this this handoff of of the operation here in the next 10 years? Absolutely. And this is my advice to everybody I talk to about this. The time to sell your property is when you don't have to. So if you're thinking about, you know, I want to retire in two years, four years, six years, you need to be, you need to make a plan and you need to make a plan with, with somebody that knows, not somebody that guesses, I'm talking about a real estate professional, like one of the guys at National Land Realty, and and we have a staff of attorneys and and qualified intermediaries and and investment advisors. But it, it's it would be no obligation, but you need to start making a plan. Talk to call somebody and talk to them that knows and understands how to transfer this wealth and minimize those capital gains tax because. They'll just eat you alive if you've owned your farm for 40 years and you want to leave something to your children and your children don't want to farm in, in Tennessee or don't want to farm in Mississippi, then let's make a plan. But it needs to start now. If you if, if anywhere in the foreseeable future, you're thinking about selling your farm. Yeah. And I think, you know, Ronnie, I'm sure you've heard the horror stories. I've heard them as well, even uh, here in the last, you know, 10, 15 years about you know, someone wanted to pass on the operation. They didn't have a great plan or they waited too long to the last minute. And then next thing you know, uh, you know, they're getting a, a pretty hefty tax bill that they can't afford. And they lose that land that was in the family for 100 years. You know, it's it's sad when you hear stories like that. And we see it all the time, Jesse. And, you know, that the Internal Revenue Service sets up these parameters and you have to check those boxes and you have to you have to meet certain certain deadlines. And if you don't, then there's no do over. You don't get to do it over. Yeah. And, and so we that's that's kind of what we specialize in is making sure we don't miss those boxes. And we've got people to do that. Folks can learn more at nationalland.com. That is the website for National Land Realty. And uh, Ronnie Richardson, CEO of National Land Realty, we are up against the clock, but I do appreciate the time here on AOA today. And uh, we'll have to get you back on the show again in the future and have another conversation. Jesse, thank you for your time. Thank you for the call. All right, coming up next here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. We'll get a harvest update from Northwest Iowa with Jim McDermott from DeKalb Grow. That's next here on AOA. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. 
The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. It's National Co-op Month. Today, we're talking with Andrew Schaefer, a member of the CHS Sun Basin Growers Producer Board, about the benefits he finds in being a cooperative owner and leader. Andrew, with all the options available to support your farm operation, why do you choose to work with cooperatives? I think a large part of it is kind of the, the all-for-one mentality of cooperatives um, if a cooperative is more successful it means me as an individual more successful also really like the opportunity to have a, a voice that's heard being a cooperative member within chs and chs sun basin growers specifically we have an equal vote well you serve on your local co-op producer board why do you agree to take on a leadership role i felt that if i wanted my kids to have the opportunity to farm that i needed to have a voice and being a part of a cooperative leadership board really gave me the opportunity to amplify that voice and have others with me that were speaking the same language, trying to get across the same message that we're an important industry and we're out for helping the world, helping feed the world, helping our communities. And it just felt like a wonderful place to start. What have you learned about cooperatives during your time on the board that surprised you? Patronage. Patronage really jumped out at me right away. Making a buck farming anymore is, is pretty difficult. You got to be pretty good with a pencil, pretty good with your expenses. And the patronage is just amazing when you really think about it. Um, you buy in and you buy these products from these cooperatives. And then if the cooperative turns a profit, they share it. Well, we've been talking with Andrew Schaefer, a member of the CHS Sun Basin Growers Producer Board. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Jesse. You have a good one. And thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800 209 6416 800-209-6416 Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed AOA Now back to Jesse Allen 
And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America. Jesse Allen back with you here. The show today brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Well, we continue our harvest tour around the country. We want to get an update on how things look in northwest Iowa. Joining us now, DeKalb Asgrove Technical Agronomist Jim McDermott is with us. Jim, great to have you on the program. I hope you're doing well. Well, thanks, Jesse. Yeah, doing very well here in northwest Iowa and appreciate being on. Well, let's talk about how uh, conditions are looking. I know harvest in full swing. I just uh, spent some time uh, at my mom's house in north central Iowa here, just uh, a few counties over from where you're at, located there in Spencer, Iowa. Uh, Just this last weekend, I saw a lot of combines rolling, of course, and uh, I'm wondering, I'm guessing, uh, seeing much of the same in uh, your territory there in northwest Iowa, Jim. Yeah, exactly. Harvest has been going along real well. Had the scattered rains, especially over this last weekend, uh, which actually was was welcome. Uh, We had been extremely dry, windy, so uh, seeing some scattered rains wasn't all bad. But, uh, boy, for the most part, harvest has clipped along real well. Um, Been been a little bit slow on some soybeans, just with green stems, as well as some uh, humid, damp mornings that slowed down harvest. But, uh, boy, overall, uh, just with the generally drier weather, oh, we've been able to move along real well on both corn and soybeans. Now, uh, what are you hearing from some of your uh, customers uh, across the area? I mean, are yields looking better than expected, about what was expected, maybe worse? Uh, what's what's the general theme you're hearing on, on both corn and soybeans? Well, you hit the nail on the head. I I hear the phrase better than expected quite often, um, especially on the corn side. You know, and obviously variable, which we expected going into this season, uh, especially in the areas that uh, had missed some of the rains and were on the drier side. But uh, it's it's said time and time again, it's just amazing the yields we can get with the lack of rainfall. You know, there are certain areas that uh, maybe were receiving 10 inches below their normal growing season rainfall amounts and they're still able to produce some 220 240 260 bushel yields uh, on the corn side Uh, soybeans also been variable but uh, hearing seeing yields from the 40s um, you know well up into the 80s so wide range but uh, generally better than expected as well on the soybean side now, with how dry things were for many folks uh, this year, and I know uh, Northwest Iowa was, was one of those areas that did have to deal with some dryness, uh, was there any major disease pressures or pest pressures or anything like that that we really saw this growing season, Jim? On the disease side, Jesse, it was a fairly low year. Um, again, just you know, with, with drier conditions, especially later in the season. Although for the area that I cover, um, especially towards the western half of northwest Iowa, uh, Goss's wilt, uh, bacterial disease was fairly widespread. Um, so that was the main disease we were dealing with. Um, on the soybeans, um, disease pressure was also hit and miss, but uh, there was a fair amount of white mold, uh, especially in some of the areas where they had caught some of the late July and early August rains. Boy, on the pest side, though, um, you know that's where we, we did have issues, especially with corn rootworm. Uh, so, you know, on a drier year, anytime we've got uh, root feeding taking place by those corn rootworm larvae, it's just going to put an additional layer of stress on that uh, corn crop. And and that's what we saw um, both corn on corn, as you would expect, but also in the rotated acre corn on soybeans where we're dealing with the extended diapause rootworm pressure. Uh, that was fairly widespread. And uh, you could certainly see uh, even some root lodging, but also having an effect on the on the yield. So certainly something to pay attention as you're in the combine, uh, looking for these hot pockets of rootworm feeding, but also definitely have to keep it in mind for planning in 2024. We're talking with Jim McDermott, DeKalb Asgrow Technical Agronomist based in Northwest Iowa. Jim, as well, any harvest tips you would share? I mean, I know folks are going hard and heavy right now, but any any tips here as we're working through the fall harvest? Uh, should we be prioritizing certain fields? Should we be worried about stalk integrity? Uh, maybe some things after you're done harvesting the field. Any tips at all you, you would share with folks? Absolutely, and, and a lot of growers are already doing this, uh, but uh, you know, with some of the, the higher stress levels, you know, certainly prioritizing those fields that have 
uh, more stress, lighter soil types. Um, we saw a fair amount of cannibalization where that plant, uh, as it ran out of moisture, you know, did everything it could to fill out that ear. So it left some pretty weak stalks. So uh, making sure that we're targeting those fields first. And really, even for planting next year, um, w- again, with the dry conditions, it's, it's really given us a, a good idea on our variable rate planting maps uh, for the future. You know, in other words, we, we've got uh, the yield history from this year, I think will be very, very good to be able to correspond with those lighter soil types. So something to think about as we're, as we're planning for next year. Um, and then also that really back to the rootworm, I think uh, planning on, on where we've got heavy pressure, um, you know, looking for products like SmartStacks Pro, which has done a really good job in handling that rootworm pressure this year. Uh, SmartStacks Pro products are standing very well and have uh, been able to uh, fend off that rootworm feeding. So uh, certainly have some management products that we can be using in the future with, with some of the pests that we saw this year, Jesse. I should ask as well, uh, we didn't mention tar spot. Was tar spot an issue, or is that something that you are concerned about uh, moving into the 24 season, Jim? Well, it's certainly something to keep on the radar. Uh, the area that I cover um, in northwest Iowa, really tar spot was not much of a factor. We did see some come in uh, late season, uh, either late August or early September, but uh, it was not very widespread and, and not, not a yield-limiting factor. You know, Fortunately, we have... Uh, some, some fungicides that are able to do a very good job on tar spot. Uh, so certainly something that we want to think about as we plan for 2024, but uh, uh, this year wasn't really a, a factor in our area. Fantastic. Jim, any final thoughts real quick? Uh, anything we haven't mentioned before we run out of time? Well, really, I guess is just make sure that uh, you're staying safe out there um, as we get farther and farther into the harvest season. Of course, uh, fatigue becomes a factor and just want to make sure uh, all our growers are able to get home safely at night. I couldn't agree more with that. DeKalb Asgro, technical agronomist in Northwest Iowa, Jim McDermott. Thanks for joining us here on the program today. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon. Well, thank you, Jesse. Well, we are out of time here on AOA today. Brought to you by SEDEX Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Find more at SEDEX.com. Have a great rest of your day. I'm Jesse Allen. Thanks for listening to AOA. When people look at your farm, they just see corn. But to you, it's a lot more than that. It's a college fund, your retirement plan, and it deserves trait protection that can stand up to heavy pressure threats like corn woodworm. SmartStacks Pro with RNAi technology is trusted on over 1 million acres to protect the things that mean more. Trade up at SmartStacksPro.com. Always read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023 Bayer Group, all rights reserved. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We, we, we We are are the the foundation foundation fighting fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org.